It is always very important to double check your work, right? If uh, you don't catch this right here, uh, someone is painting the stop sign or the line for the stop sign, and what do they do? They don't double check their work. And uh, I don't know how many people must have run this thing because they didn't understand what was happening. But double-checking your work and double-checking what you're doing is a very important thing to do. Now, last week I was talking about joy and I was talking about a great Aggie victory. But this time, the Aggies decided not to double-check and see if they had a team on the plane. And they showed up with nobody. At least that's what it seemed like. Double-checking your work or double-checking what you're supposed to do has turned me, at one point, into an outlaw. I don't know if you realize this about me, but there was a time I was running from the law. And it happened whenever I was working in Dallas, and one of the things that I would do when I worked there, I would take the dart light rail into my office. It, 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 uh, I, I would drive up to the rail station and then it would drop off one like right across the street from my office. And it was really great. And so I saved money on gas and I got to sit there and read the paper or read a book while I was, I was uh, going to work. And it was a wonderful thing until one day I did not double check to see if I had brought my wallet with me. And I didn't have my wallet, and because I didn't have my wallet, I didn't have my light rail pass. Matter of fact, at, at my company, I was the one that gave the passes out and, and dealt with the, dealt with the uh, dart light rail company to get passes for everyone in my company, but I didn't double check to see that I had that pass with me, and I get pulled over by a dart cop, and he kicks me off the plane, or not the plane, kicks me off the, the, the train and writes me a ticket. And then I'm sitting there on the side of the row or on the side of the station wondering, all right, how do I get to work now? So I have to look for, wait for that cop to leave. Next train comes and I hop on, but now I'm looking around because I'm hoping another cop is not there to kick me off. And so I make it to the, to work, but I didn't have my wallet. So I was, I didn't eat lunch that day. I was hungry and I started thinking, how am I going to get back home? I've got to be sneaky. I got to run from the law. I, I, I'm allowed to be on here. I've paid my, or my company paid for my pass and, and I get on the, on the, on the train on the way back home and I'm looking around, looking around and then I'm never sitting down because I see a cop and then I'm just going to, at the next, at the next station, I'm going to get off of the train and then run to the next train and get behind. And I'm running away from the cop the whole time. Sometimes I'm staying off of the train. It took me uh, probably double or triple the amount of time to get home, but I got home. And I told myself, I'm going to double check every time I leave to make sure that I did not leave my wallet at home. And luckily I went and I took care of my court uh, my, my, I didn't have to pay anything because I just showed them that I actually had a, had a uh, pass. But I didn't want to have to deal with that again. It's very important to double check your work to make sure what you, what you are hearing is truth. And that's one of the things that the Thessalonian people might not have done. 
they heard the word of, of Jesus Christ. They heard the good news and they went all in on it. They had the incre- this incredibly strong faith. And last week we finished 1 Thessalonians. But after that first letter, people were saying, were coming in and there were these false prophets and false teachers. And they were trying to twist Paul's words. And one of the things they didn't do was they didn't go back to the words that Paul told them and they, and they, they struggled with going to the original Scriptures of the prophets and what we would call the Old Testament. And one of the things that, that uh, Paul tries to do is he tries to go through it because this group, this, this group of people wouldn't, wouldn't double-check their work. They wouldn't go and search the Scriptures. And so he has to reiterate a few more things to them so that they understand. And that's really what 2 Thessalonians is. It's going back through what we talked about in 1 Thessalonians, but it's a little bit stronger because he wants to make sure the Thessalonian people get the point. And it must have been so difficult for them to get it because it, when Luke talks about it, as Luke writes uh, later on when he finishes the book of Acts, he talks about when Paul left Thessalonica and went next to the place called Berea, It talks about how those people would double check their work and they would check the scriptures. It says in Acts chapter chapter 17, verse 10, when Paul gets to Berea, it says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to a Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were more noble of character than those in Thessalonica. They received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and Greek men. So what you saw here is the people in Berea didn't just hear the good news and put their full faith in it, but they did a little bit of research on their own. And this is something that we as Christians should always be willing to do. It's not that we just hear the good news of God and we just take it face value, but we should search sources to see if what we're hearing is true. We should search what God is telling us, what people are telling us about the nature of God is true. And so every time you have a sermon like this, uh, this sermon should not end here. This sermon should go back home with you and you should search and see, all right, let's, let's dive into what we learned today a little bit more and search the source. And if you're not searching the Holy Scriptures as your number one source, then you're doing yourself an incredible disservice. Some people might try to see, uh, they might try to look at about who God is and who Christ is and the nature of our Lord. And they can go all sorts, to the, sorts of different places to check and see who created this world. Or was it even created at all? At all? Was it just to always exist? Or whatever might have happened. And if you don't go to this source, you're really hurting yourself. Some people say this is an old old source and so it really doesn't uh, apply to my life anymore. But I want you to realize what this is that we're looking at. The Bible that has been put together was put together with 40 different authors over 1,500 different 1,500 years. 
It was made. It was. It was written in three different languages. Or excuse me. It was yeah, three different languages, and written on three continents. But every single story in here all goes to the same thing. It's about God's love for His people. And God's salvation for His people. And, and ultimately, it's going to point to Jesus Christ as that salvation. And so, this story that, that has been brought together over 1,500 years is all connected. And it's the most preserved book that's ever been in this world. If you look at, uh, at the Bible, it's the most translated book that's ever been translated. It's the most sold book in the world. It's the most preserved original copies and manuscripts of this book. If we look at uh, things that I remember having to do uh, maybe my senior year of high school or through college, there was, there was Homer's Iliad. It's probably, that's considered like maybe the, one of the oldest books in the world, not, not as old as the Bible. But if you look at the manuscripts of Homer's Iliad, there's 600 of those manuscripts. If you look at the manuscripts of the New Testament, there's 30,000 copies from original words. And each of those copies points to very similar things. Almost word for word in many cases. And a lot of times, whenever you see differences in translations, a lot of times those manuscripts will have little asterisks in there and say, and they'll, they might add things a little bit in there. But you can still see it's all coming from the same source. In 1945, one of the greatest discoveries happened because a kid was throwing some rocks in a cave out in Israel and it hits a, a big pottery jar and they find 200 manuscripts of the Old Testament. Word for word what we had in our Scripture for the most part. They had full manuscripts. And it's amazing that this is preserved, but if this is God's Word to us, He's going to make sure that it is the most preserved thing in the history. So if you're not going to this, you're really doing yourself a disservice. But the most important thing I think you can look at is a life that's lived following these Scriptures, a life that's produced through these Scriptures is a life that I think you'll really want to live. It's a good life. It's a life that, that gives you joy on this earth and it will give you eternal life in heaven. And so, this is something that we search for. But it's not that we find our salvation in this book. Because this book points to where our salvation is, and that's in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 39, you search the Scriptures, you think they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to Me. And so, all of these Scriptures are about God's love for people. And God's redeeming salvation for people. So that we can be with Him, and it points to Jesus Christ, and that's why as Chris said, the most important part of our worship is when we remember this incredible sacrifice that gives us our grace. And so, the Thessalonians are eager to follow God's will. They're eager to follow God, but maybe they aren't searching the Scriptures like they should. And that's why this whole second letter 
was written within a year of the first letter. And so Paul starts out the second letter to the Thessalonian people. It says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you because for you, for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love of you and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your, per, your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you're enduring. The Thessalonian people were going through difficult time. They were being persecuted for their faith. They were probably being pushed out of their families, pushed out of the marketplaces. The government didn't like them because they weren't giving their, their glory to Caesar, but they were, they were calling Jesus their Lord. And so they were going through tough times. They were struggling. However, their faith was increasing and their love for one another was increasing. And so Paul, that's what he just says is, we're telling everyone about you and your faith. They might have struggled with, with uh, some of the false teachers, but their faith wasn't struggling. Their faith was strong despite persecution. And so we, as a church, need to look to these folks in Thessalonica and realize when we're going through tough times, that's only a chance for our faith to grow our love for one another to grow. Our strength in our, in our Lord to grow. Because our Lord sees when we are struggling. When we do have tough times. And the Thessalonians realized that God's coming. And so they were living a life and they thought God was coming like right then and there. And and. and, and they had no clue what if, if he was or not. Whenever they heard Paul say he's coming like a thief in the night, they thought it was going to be in their lifetime. Paul didn't say that. He was just saying it would come suddenly. And so they lived their life as if he was coming any moment and they put their faith in God like he was coming any moment. And that's something we should be doing is being ready for his coming. Live like he's coming at any moment so that we are living faithfully towards him. Because God sees how we're living. He sees when we're struggling. He sees that we're clinging to Him. In verse 5 it says, all of this is evidence of God's, that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. One of the things that I love seeing here is that, is that Paul is telling them that God sees them when they are struggling. It's not that we're out here being abandoned by God or being forsaken by God. God knows the troubles that you're going through. God understands when you're going through health problems. God understands when you're struggling with family members. God understands all of this. He sees it. And He sent His Son to this world so that He could feel these same struggles that we go through. He understands the same temptations that we go through. God sees us and He sees when we're hurt. And we live in a world where people 
hurt us. And people hurt the church. And one of the things that you see here is God is telling them that He will take care of it. If someone has hurt you, if someone has hurt the church, God is going to take care of that. God is a God of justice and God is going to make sure that those people will be taken care of. And what does that mean for us? That means we can't just live in anger and find ways that we're going to pay them back. We can give that to God. That's what that means to give to God. Let God in His righteous anger and His righteous judgment take care of those that have hurt you. Take care of those that have hurt the church. We don't have to worry about that. God's justice will take care of that. And God is also going to give us relief as we go through this world, as we go through these tough times. God is going to give us relief. And that's a wonderful thing. But then it says something that gets a little bit Hard for us to hear. Because as much as we love the, the fact that there is a place that's wonderful, a place without pain and sorrow, there is a place that's not so great, and that is separation from God for those that don't put their faith and their hope and their trust in the Lord. It says in verse 7, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with the powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of our Lord and from the glory of His might. In our Revelation class, we talk multiple times about the angel and the little scroll and he tells them to eat the scroll. Basically, eat this, this proclamation of, of the Lord's coming. And it says that it's going to be bitter. It's going to be sweet in the mouth, but it's also going to turn your stomach. It's going to be bitter. And that's the message that we have. It's an incredible message for those that receive it. But it's also a tough message for those that choose not to put their faith and their hope in our Lord. What we have here is a God that's filled with justice. And a just God is going to make sure that He sets things right in this world. A world without justice is a world in utter chaos. If you look at riots that, that form in this world, in this country, and, and things that happen where, where you, you have such an uprising. Why is that happening? It's because people don't feel like they have justice. If you look at the great revolutions of the world, you wonder why would the, why would people, uh, rebel against a government? Why would they, why would they do that? It's because people don't feel like they are being treated with Justice. And so the lack of justice causes chaos. And we don't have a God of chaos. We have a God of order. Our God of order makes sure that the sun rises every, every morning and sets every evening. It makes sure that there's 365 point, what, something <laughs> days a year, right? 
Every year, we circle this sun. It's filled with perfection. We don't have a God of chaos. And that's why we have a God of justice. And our God loves the world so much that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. We have a God that does not want anyone to be lost. But penalty has to be paid for our sins. We get grace when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And we get to be raised with Him as He was raised. We get to live in heaven with Him like He, like he lives with the Father. But if we do not put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we do not accept that penalty, that payment for, the, for our sins, we miss out on everything that God's given us. God is, God of, is a God of love. Just as much as He is a God of, of uh, justice, like Jaime was talking, He is also a God of compassion and a God of love. And He paid your penalty. And so we're without excuse, as it says in, in Romans. You're without excuse. Everyone in this, in this world probably should know of the love of our God. That's one of our missions is this church to go out and make sure they know that, that, that all of our neighbors know about the love of our God. And that He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He's begging you. That's what the whole Old Testament is. is just return to me. Let, put your faith in me. Put your trust in me. That's what He's calling through all of these holy Scriptures. To put our faith and our hope in Him and receive eternal life in Him. He doesn't want you to be lost. Jesus talks about the idea of hell. hell. And in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, it says, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. When Jesus talks about hell, He makes sure that we realize that hell was not made for people. Hell was prepared for Satan and his angels. Satan and his angels who saw the splendor of heaven were part of this wonderful, this wonderful place and decided that they didn't want God's love and so they were cast down to this earth. They chose a life apart from God. But if we live a life of sin, if we live a life where we choose to be sinful, where we choose darkness, our life starts to transform to sin and darkness. The more we choose to live a life of sin, the more we become like the devil and his angels. And the more you create, uh, uh, you live a life of sin and darkness, the more you create a home for yourself like the devil and his angels. God doesn't want this. That's what these Scriptures do is they try to point us in the right direction because we are not citizens of this earth that's made to pass away. We're citizens of heaven. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news. Then he says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. 
And he says, they're going to be destroyed, but you are going to be saved by God Himself. There is penalty for sin. But that penalty has been paid. And it's been paid by Jesus Christ and it's available to any of us who want to accept it. And that's what being baptized into Jesus is. It's, it's washing those sins away and being raised with Him and being able to, be, be, to not have that sin in your life. To be pure like He's pure. And so Paul says in verse 11, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God will make you worthy of His calling and by His power He may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus will may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul praying? He's praying that we accept this in our hearts. That we make a commitment to our God and we get the sin out of our life so that we can live a life where we glorify Him. Where He's glorified in our goodness. He's glorified in our good deeds. He's glorified in our faithfulness. So this is the prayer for all of us here today. That the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. And that you may be glorified in Him and according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're offered. A life with our Lord. A life eternally. A life where there will be no more, no more sadness. No more tears. No more pain. They'll be gone forever. This is what God wants all of His people to experience. Everyone on this earth. And so it makes our mission that much important, more important to go out and reach others, to let them know the good news, let them know that, that they're not beyond being saved. Penalty's been paid for them. If you've not accepted that penalty in your life, you can be baptized today, your sins can be washed away, and you can live for eternity with our Lord. Or if you need prayers of the church, we'll pray for you to help you Live a life to where you can be transformed into something so much more wonderful so that you can have a home in heaven. If you have any need, please come while we stand and sing.